that's normally NCU on any given day. Um, but we are in this space um, in which we have limited number that can come into this room. And then, but we, we're videotaping these and we have ways that we're going to make certain that this is distributed uh, because this is a very, very wonderful, very important day um, that really dropped into the heart of uh, Dr. Alan Tennyson and really our university. Um, this summer was, as you know, a, a turbulent summer for our nation, our world. I'll never forget the night before the, we hosted the George Floyd Memorial here. I was over at a local hotel that opened up our, the hotel, the residence in for the family and for the media and for the organizers of the funeral. So I was sitting around the table there with about six people. And um, behind the person I'm talking to in the lobby was the big TV in the lobby a, a couple feet from us. And I'm, I'm looking up at that TV and they're showing one million people marching down the Champs-Élysées in Paris through the Eiffel Tower for George Floyd. Then they showed a clip of London and there was another 750,000 people on the streets of London. And it was hard to fathom that all of that, uh, that the epicenter was our community and was going to be our university. Uh, born out of that, um, carrying the, the weight of the moment is also the Lord begins to examine us. You know, for the most part in leadership, we're trying to get the world to notice us. But it all shifted this year from notice me to examine me. And so all of us, every church, every university, every family, every business, every organization is under examination, which is different than, under, different than just being noticed. And now a lot of people don't want to be examined. Let's go back to just notice me, don't examine me. But we have no control over that. This is the wonder of God and his movements on this planet right now. And so born out of that was out of our own examination um, as a university was this idea to, uh, the school has taken some tremendous strides. Steady steps lead to quantum leaps. You can't just go quantum leap. You have to go steady steps become quantum leaps. And just the steady steps of many years and, and especially the last, um, before I arrived, those steady steps were happening and we just have kind of stewarded those steady steps. Um, in the midst of that saying, okay, Lord, one of the gaps at North Central is the broader relationship throughout the Twin Cities with our bishops and our leaders. Uh, Dr. Tennyson had a very powerful idea dropped in his heart. And we've already had uh, one great gathering out on Elliot under the tent, even with the midst of COVID. And it's just been a great thing to see. Today is all about building on that. I want to invite Dr. Alan Tennyson, who I think is one of the great voices. You know, he just did a, he just did a, a podcast called, Does the Bible Endorse Slavery? It's been viewed by 100,000 people. Uh, he just did it with uh, Rich Wilkerson Jr. It was a profound expose and a theological presentation um, on scripture and slavery. Uh, I think Alan, Dr. Tennyson, he's ours, we love him, but I think he's a voice to this generation around this country and world. We're blessed to have you here, Dr. Tennyson. Thank you so much, President Hagan. So today we have called this something we have never done before at North Central. We're calling this a Bishop's Council. Now, the Assemblies of God doesn't have bishops. We have superintendents. Uh, superintendents kind of function for us like bishops, but it's not really the same thing. I wanted to hear, in light of what was happening in our Twin Cities, from the church leaders of the Twin Cities who are bishops. I wanted to know what the bishops had to say, because right now one of the greatest needs in the world is for church unity in the light of justice. And I wanted us to hear from the bishops. Uh, we are going to have exceptional church leaders speak to us this morning. Uh, for those watching by Zoom, listen to what they have to say. But we have an exceptional church leader moderating the panel this morning, and it's my honor to welcome him. 
He is our professor of information technology, the director of the School of Technology, but you might not also know that he is the founding pastor of Christ Saving Grace Church of God in Christ in Crystal. He is a former regional missions director for the Church of God in Christ. So let's welcome professor and pastor Colin Miller. And now we make the awkward exchange. Amen. Why don't we just clap our hands for Jesus? He is worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of the honor. We count this as an honor and a privilege to, to uh, moderate and facilitate this event today. I'm excited to have, to be a part of this and to have these great leaders that are in the Twin Cities. And so we're going to go right ahead and get started. But before we do that, I always start off with prayer. So let's open up in prayer real quickly. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your love and kindness. We thank you for just being so good. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. We ask, God, that you will be all up in it. We ask, God, that your presence will be here. We ask that you'll anoint the, the, the panelists, anoint me. And let something be said today, God, that will speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and cause us to move. And God will be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce each panelist one at a time, and they can come to the stage and take the correspondent seats. First, we'll have Dr. Doug Graham. Our own Dr. Doug Graham, he's come back from open heart surgery, and we're so glad for God's healing power. Dr. Doug Graham, lead pastor, River of Life Assembly of God, La Crosse, Wisconsin, 1993 to 2005. Lead pastor, Evangel Assembly of God, Bismarck, North Dakota, 2005 to 2014. Vice President of Spiritual Life and Student Development here at North Central University, 2014 to present. Assistant Superintendent for the Minnesota District Council, 2019 to present. Our next panelist is Presiding Elder Stacy Smith. Let's say amen for her as she comes on the stage. She serves as the presiding elder of the Chicago Conference, the St. Paul, Minneapolis District and Canadian Conference of the African American, of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. She serves as senior pastor at St. James AME Church in St. Paul. Our next panelist is Archbishop Wayne Felton. Let's say amen for him as he comes. along with his wife, Deandra J. Felton, established a Holy Christian Church which has grown to four campuses. As Archbishop, he serves as the apostolic overseer of the communion of Holy Christian Churches, consisting of over 150 churches and ministries in the United States. Democratic Republic of the Congo, Rwanda, Kenya, Liberia, India, and Mexico. Our final panelist, Dr. Ellington Porter, our own Dr. Ellington Porter. <laughs> Dr. Porter served in music and worship leading roles in several churches, and most recently as senior pastor, minister of music at Genesis Church in Sacramento. He is one half of the award-winning gospel singers, the Porter Brothers, 
with his brother, Reverend Tikoy Porter. He was most recently the music director of the 2020 March on Washington. Can we give our panelists a good hand clap? All right, our other bishop is here. Bishop Keith Jenkins. And Bishop Jenkins is a graduate of North Central University. He founded a church in 1998 that grew into the Open Door Evangelistic World Ministries, a multicultural, non-denominational, charismatic church where he was installed as bishop in 2006. Again, let's give a good hand clap to our panelists. Again, the theme of our discussion today is a talk with leaders of the black church in the Twin Cities on church unity. I just want to share a definition on church unity, and it's a simple definition. And as we sit through this discussion, we'll begin to hear or more expansion on that definition. The unity of the church refers to the union of the people of God in all their various distinctives and expressions, bound to God and to one another by the gospel. Shortly after the death of uh, George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, the Lord impressed upon my heart to do a post on Facebook. And I just want to share the last excerpt from what I shared. The condition of this country and the world is, in, in, is an indictment against the church. As I stated, racism is not going away, but it can be abated. If the church does its part, the word of God states in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people shall call by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The church, black, white, red, yellow, needs to repent and come together and pray for our country and world. My first question will be directed to Elder, Presiding Elder Stacy Smith. And you on the panel can also chime in once the speaker, once the person that's been posed the question answers their question. Uh, the direction is you're to take your mic and speak closely into it. You have less than a minute for your response. And again, after your response, if there are those that can chime in, you can. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. First question to presiding elder Stacy Smith. How do church leaders engage their community in issues of justice? And I'd like you to clarify what justice looks like. Making sure that this is on. Okay, good. Um, engaging my community, my pastors, my church in uh, the community comes in all different ways, and it has changed, and it is morphing even as we are speaking right now. Um, with the condition of our economy, with the condition of people losing their jobs, um, that looks more like now we have to feed more than we normally have in the past. We are feeding people who never thought they would be standing in a food line. Um, so that is an engagement. Also, the engagement comes through education of what justice really looks like. Um, I led the um, uh, silent clergy march this this past uh, uh, May, after the death of George Floyd. And that was a unity of black clergy led, but with our white brothers and sisters following us, and justice standing up saying that we, even in the community of faith, can all come together and we can all stand for what needs to change in our nation. And the church is not silent. Even though we came in silent prayer, we were praying mightily yeah. through that march 
to change the situations of what we see now. So engaging the community is coming in so many different ways now. And I said it's morphing. The church has changed, whether we realize it or not, in this COVID situation. So we have to do business differently. We have to engage differently. We have to meet people right where they are. As um, the president said, we are being examined. We are no longer uh, being watched or we're no longer trying to be seen. We are being examined. The church is under a microscope. And it's how we respond to those who are in need is how they will truly see us and engage with us. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Any of the other panelists care to share their thoughts on the first question? Okay, we'll go on to the second question. And this question is, is posed to Dr. Ellington Porter. What do church leaders read that shape them in issues of justice? Uh, great question. Uh, first off, I just want to thank you all for this honor to uh, sit on this panel and for all of the bishops um, that are here. I think, number one, we have to, of course, read the word of God because it is our primary uh, source, talks about justice. It talks about justice rolling like a river. Uh, it talks to us about how we are to treat those uh, who are less fortunate, those who the widows and the, and the orphans. But then I think we also need to not only read, I think we also need to watch, because um, everyone does not necessarily, aren't, aren't going to dig into, don't have time to dig into all the materials. Um, there's great writings by, um, of course, Martin Luther King that talks about what, what um, I think one of the last books we're talking about, where do we go from here? I can't remember exactly the name of it. Um, where do we go from here? Mm. And I, I, I think it's, 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 it always amazes me. I was, I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, and my dad, I was a pastor at Shiloh Baptist Church for 18 years. And when I was raised, I, I remember us marching um, down Selby. I remember us marching on Martin Luther King Day. Um, and we were trying to get that established as a holiday. It wasn't, it wasn't every state. They, 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 they did not regard Martin Luther King Jr. as the uh, martyr or as the, the leader of, um, and, and the one who was for peace that we quote so much now. Um, I mean, he was sought out by the FBI and different things. So it's, it's, it always amazes me that sometimes people have to die before we, we listen to their teachings. Um, so there, there are great writers out right now. Actually, a book that's coming out that I can't get, wait to, to read, uh, a little plug here, a shameless plug, is Dr. LaToya that's be writing a book going to talk about being bold. Um, Amen. I think there's Amen. so much out there now that we need to digest. But then also, I think we need to, we need to watch. There's, there's great movies out there that's talked to, on Netflix. 13 is a great movie that talks about the 13th Amendment that we need to, to, to pour into. I think there's, there's um, some out there that, that are um, that talk about the the um, thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. My thirty seconds are up. Um, so let, what am I saying is that we need to we need to learn about the history, so that our, I always say this: if we understand our history, our future is not a mystery. We need to know the history of what slavery looked like in this nation, what slavery looked like um, coming into this nation and how it shaped and it molded so many of the things that we have now that influences the systems that are in place now. That's why we're marching in the streets. And so I will give you back two seconds. Amen. Amen. Anyone else would like here to share on that question? Is this, yes, Tessa. Yeah. Good afternoon. Thank you. It is so good to be back at home, North Central again. What we do in February at my church, uh, because it is a multicultural church, we is African American Month, Black History Month. And what I do is, is I show videos and then we have a panel discussion, uh, something concerning history, black history, Jim Crow, Reconstruction, and I ask two questions. What do you think and what do you feel? And I try to keep it in an academic environment so it won't become personal. Well, some of these things are very uh, hard to deal with. And there are a couple of PBS DVDs that um, I can refer you to as The Abolitionist, An American Experience, Number Two, Slavery and the Making of America, narrated by Morgan Freeman, 
Reconstruction, American After the Civil War. Uh, it's narrated by Henry Louis Jr. Gates. Slavery by Another Name is narrated by Lawrence Fishbarn. And just a couple of books. Uh, the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, number one. Number two, Divided Brethren, I think it's by Curtis D. Young. Uh, he was um, uh, an adjunct professor at Bethel Seminary. And number three, The Stony Road by Henry Louis Gates. And number four, Dark Sky Rising by Henry Louis Gates. And I just give them this material, we read it, we keep it on an academic less, uh, level, and I say to them, what can we do now? We don't want to get stuck in the past, but what can we do going forward that can make things a little better? And it works out really great. People walk away and say, hey, you know, I really didn't think about that. I really didn't know that. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a growing opportunity. So I know I'm going to take the month of February and every Bible study night we would do something on this level just to educate the people. Wonderful, wonderful. This next question is Can I for, just add something? Yes, Colin? go ahead. And, you know, representing uh, as a white leader uh, and mostly white churches in the Assemblies of God in uh, Minnesota. Uh, I was raised in North Dakota, Montana. So, you know, my upbringing is very monocultural. So uh, what have I read or how have I educated myself to uh, understand a perspective that I didn't rub shoulders with growing up? Um, and I guess that's the key thing. What do leaders read? Uh, if you're white and you don't uh, have an understanding or a grasp of what's happening for those uh, leaders and people of color, churches of color, you got to read outside your perspective. You got to read uh, what you normally wouldn't be subscribing to. And uh, I've read a couple of books in the last couple of years that really have uh, assisted me greatly. I went to a uh, CCCU conference a couple of years ago where uh, the student that wrote The Hate You Give uh, was one of the keynote speakers. And what a fabulous uh, story that depicts uh, the, uh, the heart-wrenching issues of uh, of police shooting of black men. And so that was a great perspective uh, for me. The other book, and I can't remember how that got on my radar, but The Warmth of Other Suns, uh, a real uh, lengthy book that detailed the, um, the, the, what they call the Great Migration following uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and the freedom of slaves. Well, with the freedom to move, where did they move to? And the migration to the Northeast, to the, uh, to the uh, 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 Michigan area, to the West Coast. Uh, even, though they, even though blacks had freedom, they did not have support. They didn't, they didn't have love. They didn't have acceptance. And, uh, that just uh, was a great perspective for me as it relates to the history uh, of pain and injustice as well as the present day uh, crisis of the shootings. Amen. Can I add? Amen. Go ahead. And you know what? Um, I'm going to allow you to go, but I'm going to also pose the question to you as well. So That's a lot. Uh, no, you, you're, you're good. You can do it. <laughs> so third question, and you can add this to your response. How has this time, now when we talk about this time, our president shared a message a while back that really s spoke to me, and it, he talked about the devil's triangle. Um, he talked, and, and the triangle being racial disunity or racial unrest, the election, and COVID-19. So when, I, when I'm posing the question in terms of this time, that's what I'm talking about. So how's, how has this time affected your church community? Okay, good. Thank you. You all are wonderful people. I know a few of them, so this helps. <laughs> the underpinnings of this cataclysmic change that we're experiencing in time has to be viewed from a historical standpoint. We're talking before the civil rights movement. What you're getting now is the affective behavioral patterns of systemic issues that have been articulated from a scholarship standpoint for a very long time. And so the contemporary voices are more vociferous, speaking, they're more, what I say, dialectical 
and dialogical. Dialogical in that they do have a voice, dialectical. They're speaking in the language of today. But as per the question about reading, we can start with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? We can talk about life together. We can talk about the cost of discipleship. I do have a preference here, and that is the historical understanding of how theology was formed and how theology was communicated to peoples of color vis-a-vis -vis slaves. And why is it there had to be a James Cone? Another book that should be required of all students, God of the Oppressed. To understand why is it that people of color had to form a quote, black theology as a response to German theologians who were, some of them were Nazi loving, right? Uh, in which you understand the backdrop of Bonhoeffer's protest was that the Christianity that was being practiced by theologians and leaders of his time in Germany was a cheap grace. These are thematics that he puts there. So I like to deal with more of the spiritual side of our, soci uh, of our socio-political uh, challenges, our socio-economic challenges, and our social unrest. So how, does how have these things affected our church community? Like uh, Bishop Jenkins, I have a multi-ethnic congregation and it's the best thing to have. To go to church and everybody looks like you, God is missing. I say that without apology. I say that being able to substantiate that statement with any scholar any day of the week. When you peruse the book of Acts, what do you see? Do you listen to the fact that the writer makes very meticulous mention of countries and ethnic backgrounds and peoples. And have you ever looked at where those places are on the map? They're not all in Palestine. They are in northern Africa. They're in modern day Turkey. They are in now what we call the modern day Middle East. They are in Greece. This task of the gospel was multi-ethnic in its thrust from the beginning. Amen. Archbishop Felton, I recognize that we're all preachers up here and we can get revved up. I'm in an academic setting. I, I should be allowed academic This is freedom. a Pentecostal university. And so, that's right. And so it being the Pentecostal university, that Holy Ghost can catch you up and before you know it, you're going off. But you just took some but of my time. Please. <laughs> you see, again, we said this is the panel. This is the, he's the moderator. <laughs> the, we're preachers here. I so to your please, Lord. if you would, address that question. Okay, so our community wasn't ready for it. I don't think any church community was ready for this big boom. Who thought that we would see whites join blacks? in more numbers than we've seen since the Civil Rights Movement. But man, is it beautiful. It is fantastic. It is Azusa in another form. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the late Archbishop William J. Seymour yep, there <laughs> would be dancing in his grave and Charles Fox Parham would probably kill himself. Interesting. Wrapping my statement up, if I may. Our particular church community decided to come together and discuss it openly and honestly, which made the people of color in our congregation very uncomfortable, made the, uh, uh, the whites in our congregation very uncomfortable. But the word of God and the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And after getting past those honest conversations, we were able to come to a biblical ethos that we had already subscribed to by virtue of joining our church. So it called for us to be an example because 
Before that, as your illustrious president said, we just wanted to be seen. Amen. But now we're being examined. Amen. We're going to that. Could I could I add to that? Go ahead. I think, you know, one thing that we have to understand is God is sovereign. And in his sovereign knowledge, he allowed uh, COVID to happen (laughs) and the world to literally stop. When George Floyd for 48 seconds was being choked out on the ground, the world was watching. It was so different than any other time because every other time we were busy working, we were busy going to our conferences, we were busy preparing for our lessons, we were busy. The world had pushed pause. And I believe it was in God's infinite wisdom that he allowed the world to be paused so that we could feel the effects of this moment. I, 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 when it happened, we, I, 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 to, 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 to tell you the truth, I still have not watched the full video because I knew what the outcome was going to be because we have been there before. And it was almost like I was suffering. And I can say for, the, for a lot of the black community, they're suffering PTSD because we could sit there and say, here it goes again. Now, that's key. And I'm not trying to interrupt you. No. I think people need to understand that point. Yes. For you and me. Right. Here we go again. again. Yeah, again. In Minnesota or any other place that we've lived. Exactly. It's happened again. Yeah. And we've, se- we've seen this played out for many years. I mean, I can go, we can go all the way back to Rodney King in the 90s. And that was one of the first times we saw video footage of someone being beaten to almost death and nothing coming from it. And so here it is. But the, 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 the grace of this moment is what he was saying, that when we finally looked on, on TV again, we not only saw people that looked like us marching, But as Al Sharpton stood here and said, he said, there were people of all hues and colors and ages across the world. He had never seen anything such as this. That is the thing that gives us hope that I believe the church needs to learn from. It's interesting that the church has to learn from aspects of the world of how to come together in unity and not politicize this moment, but actually speak into this moment and allow unity to abide. Amen. Amen. This question is for Dr. Doug Graham. And it, it ties back to what I read earlier. The church, black and white, needs to repent and come together and pray for our country and world. That's, that's my personal opinion, and I'm not on the panel. But for church unity to take place, something like that needs to happen. And so what does uh, church unity look like during this time, Dr. Graham? Unity manifests in a number of different ways. I believe that the deepest unity is when we connect one to to another at the deepest level of who we are as a being. And we're not at the deepest part of our being just in our mind or just in our physical flesh, but we're We're at the deepest part of our being in our spirit. So what is the activity that we do that nurtures the spirit that is most fundamental? Well, we pray. So I think unity in the body of Christ, unity among the people, unity among the races, a unity among churches in a a community is is to pray together. And perhaps the steps need to be taken among pastoral leaders, church leaders themselves gathering. Let's just gather and pray together. Let's gather and interact together. And from that gathering of leaders might come gatherings of small groups and gatherings of congregations and gatherings of the entire body of Christ in a given area. So I think that's where it all begins. Amen. Amen. Can I? Yes, ma'am. Go yeah. ahead. Um, and, and I love what you said because that is nothing more than the truth that we need to come together. We need to pray together. We need to get in small groups and things like that. However, I happen to belong to a denomination that uh, in 1787, we were considered a nuisance for our prayer because we prayed too loud. We moaned too much. 
we said hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. More Pentecostal at that time than, than, than the people of St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church. And at that time, because of our prayer, we were thrown out. We, well, put it this way, we, were, we walked out. Um, and Absalom Jones and our founder, Richard Allen, got up and said, because they were going to pull us up off of our knees uh, when we were praying. And they said, after we pray, we'll trouble you no more. And we walked out. And at that very moment in time, in 1787, started the first separation of churches in 1787, because that we formed the first African-American church in the nation in 1787. And so what I feel also, as we're talking about what needs to take place with unity, there does need to be repentance. And, and repentance, not only in um, the black church, but repentance also in our white brothers and sisters as well. Um, and because of that, because that started the division of church, churches, black church, white church in our nation. And we never came back together. And so the 11 o'clock hour became the most segregated hour in our nation because of that very act. Amen. And so there needs to be some form of uh, coming together, reconciliation. We can, I mean, uh, James Cone, he's an, he's form, he was AME, God rest his soul. And he wrote these wonderful books, you know, God of Depressed. As a matter of fact, I just started reading it again because I read it in seminary. And I said, I read it too fast. So I start, just started reading it the other night. And, <laughs> but the thing of it is we, we really have to make a concerted effort. And I'm going to, I'm a preacher and I know I'm going to cut it short. <laughs> but we have to make a concerted effort concerning repentance. And what does that repentance look like? And then once repentance does take place, then the reconciliation can begin. Because re reconciliation cannot exist unless repentance happens first. Yes. Amen. 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 And can amen. I add to, can yeah, I add to go that? Ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. Amen. Amen. Dr. Curtis D. Young, scholar right here mm. in the Twin Cities. Amen. I, I wrote down a quote from his book entitled Reconciliation. He said these words, when God through grace reconciled us, it came with a price, the crucifixion of God's son, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Mm -hmm. Costly reconciliation is the incarnation of God. What I have found in my experience, and I agree with my sister here, the organic way and systematic way that, you, that unity and community usually happens works in a homogeneous setting. But when you get to the point where it costs you to be my black friend, then what ends up happening is I am your brother in a religious context and not in a community context. Mm -hmm. And so what I have found in my experience in life is unity looks like you're my family all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Whites eat at my dinner table every week. We are there for the birth of their children. We are there for their life situation that sits in Laban, right? We're there for everything that's going on in their life because they're my brother or sister. The whites in our church paid a hefty price by their families because when they found out that I was their pastor, that black pastor, all of a sudden, Google became employed. <laughs> Who is he? Where did he go to school? The registrar at Asbury Theological Seminary where I went to grad school said to me one day, What's going on there in Minnesota? We have more people calling here to check to see if you actually attended here. And one of my white elders said this to me. He says, Felton, I think I got my hand on the pulse of what's going on. We didn't go to their white churches. We came to you. So, they, so you have to be smarter than our white pastor to justify. You have to be more creative. You have to be more effective. Why? My name's not Jackie Robinson. <laughs> so real unity begins with everyone 
denying themselves, even your last name, even your family ties, taking up your cross and following Jesus, because it's impossible to follow Jesus and only like me in a religious gathering. Amen. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. We're going to have um, our next question. <laughs> I'm just having fun with this. By um, section, Keith <laughs> Bishop Keith Jenkins. Yes, sir. And the question is, what does church, no, what does racial reconciliation look like? Is reconciliation enough? And there's a qualifier here. Is there a distinction between racial reconciliation and church unity? Is there a difference? Wow, what a loaded question. You can handle it. Um, I agree what is what have already been said here today. I can concur and I can agree. But just to start off, I think if we don't make a distinction between the church or the kingdom of God and the world, we're going to have a problem. Amen to that. Because some of the things that they're doing in the world, as far as marching and all the things that they do, it's necessary, it's needed. But the church has a different role, right? So we, in the body of Christ, have to be salt and light to people. So I happen not to believe that because I'm African-American and all of the folk come to my church is African-American, that's a bad thing, if they're comfortable in coming. Or if you're, if you're Caucasian, you have to go to a black church. If, no, you need to go where God would lead you and you feel comfortable. I don't have to try to make myself fit into somewhere. It should be organic. Right. Right? It should come from organic. And if it's not, then I don't think God is, is um, threatened by our culture because God created culture. The Bible is a book of multiculturalism. The church started, it was multiculturalism. And I think people have to go where they can, where they feel comfortable in growing. Even though it's four African Americans here, we all are different. And I may not want to go to some of the structures of the way some of our churches are. So, I mean, that may be a little different take on it, but that's just kind of what I believe. And I believe that when God allow you to come to a place, it's because you can be fed and led, grow and fill apart. Not that you feel pressured to be at a certain place just to um, fulfill some kind of ideology. That's, I don't hold that view. And with that... Uh, we do have a multicultural church, and I have just last year alone, I went to nine different nations preaching. So going into different countries in Romania and London and South Africa, East Africa, and all these, these are different cultures. And you have to appreciate people for who they are, where they're at, and what God's doing in their life. So I think the church is the kingdom of, of God. What do I think reconciliation look like? Number one, reconciliation is, if I could use a metaphor of a bridge, it's a bridge. The body of Christ is big and diverse. In order for me to see what my brothers and sisters are doing in the, on the white side or whatever culture it is, I got to be able to cross this bridge of reconciliation to get to them. So it's the same way with them to get to me. But that's just the beginning because the whole thing is the chief aim of man is to glorify God. So the world needs to see our good works so they can glorify God. That's what this is all about. It's not about who I got in my church and what people are looking like in my church, that doesn't matter. It's whether or not the kingdom of God is being produced, whether or not the kingdom of God is being seen, whether or not the work of the Lord is being done. So uh, for that, it's the chief aim of man is to glorify God. Reconciliation is a bridge that requires humility on both sides. On, in this case, African-Americans and Caucasians, we both have to be humble, repent, and cross that bridge. The bridge of reconciliation leads us to the body of Christ, to a place where we display the kingdom of God, where others may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. The world will see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's why we're into reconciliation. Unity and uh, reconciliation, Jesus said, I pray that they be one. And being one is not uniformity. Being one... That doesn't mean that we're all one about our father's business, but I celebrate difference. <laughs> I really do. I appreciate difference. And so it's okay. 
I think it's all right to be different. And so um, Jesus said, men will see how good it works. He said, unity, that's what God commanded a blessing, is when we come together in unity. I can be in unity, but I don't have to be in uniformity. You know, the body of Christ is huge, big, and diverse all over the world. And it's not just like what we do here in Minneapolis. So that's just my question. I'm trying to cover all of those aspects that you're asking your question. But that's just the way I see it, sir. That's my vision. Yeah. We're going to move on. um, We're going to go off script. I think this is a critical question in regards to um, church unity. As I see it, one of... One of the main barriers that will um, cause this unity is politics. So, for example, in the white church, per se, most would go Republican. In the black church, per se, most will go Democrat. And then on both sides, they can't understand why you would go Republican or why you would go Democrat. Why would you vote for Trump? Why would you vote for Biden? And then the theological reasons come into place. How can we as the body of Christ overcome something like that? Now, again, it's not one of the questions that you were given. It's It's off script, right? It's really great. You know, and and if I could even go deeper, and this is is real. You will have, let's say, the white church looking at the black church. Those folk ain't saved. That's the general stereotype when the white church looks at the black church. They ain't saved. They vote for someone that's for abortion. Then on the black church side, when we look at the white church, we say those folk are racist. That's the real deal. And I'm talking to the white elephant. I see you. So we have a white person on the panel, we're in a white, predominantly white university, we have black leaders that are are representing here in the Twin Cities. What say you in terms of this barrier? First of all, I wanna go back and just quickly speak to Dr. Jenkins and, and what he was saying about reconciliation and unity, which will lead into what I'm getting ready to say is that the moniker of my church is African Methodist Episcopal. By name, people think that only people you find in my church are the indigenous to the African descent. That is a misnomer, first and foremost. Um, I have a multicultural church, amen. And when I say multicultural, I'm not just talking about black or white. I'm talking about people of all different hues and backgrounds in my church, okay? Predominantly, it's African-American. But the bridge that Dr. Jenkins was speaking of, the bridge of reconciliation and unity, and the difference that I have seen, regardless of political affiliation, because we have both that are black, that are Republican in my church, amen, and we have Democrat that are Republican in my church that are African American, and we have white that are Republican and, and white that are Democrat. So the thing of it is, is that when you talk about reconciliation, and when you talk about unity, how do you deal with when that's all in your black church? Amen. So the real bridge between everything is love. You have to love people unconditionally, no matter where they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what their ethnicity is, because they love something that you love even greater, which is Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. I would like to add to that as well. I, I have the utmost respect for Bishop Jenkins. He knows that that's a he knows that privately. And I agree with him 100 percent. I just like to add a little of my perspective along with what she's saying. Love is the theme, right? But reconciliation The work of reconciliation is our response to a biblical call. The Greek word, katalasso, 
for, re for reconciliation. It is being brought back into right relationship. And so by intentionally and directly and unapologetically seeking to have a multiracial congregation is not for looky-loos, you know, this is, we just want it, we got two black folks, so we, we diverse. Or, or we got an Ethiopian, so we are, we are international. No, this is a love response right. to a biblical pattern. And by doing reconciliation, we are saying that we want to do away with all of the social constructs that sin placed upon the human family that have kept us for having a healthy appreciation for you organically because you've been made in the image of God without respect to your orientation ethnically or culturally. But speaking to the political side, as we all do, we have persons from different sides of the political continuum. Uh, Republicans of different, uh, you have extreme Republicans, you have moderate Republicans, you have extreme Democrats, you have left, you have right. The responsibility of church leaders is to preach the word of God and to preach love and allow that diversity to take place, but give that diversity of political thought a Christian ethos. So you can be whatever political affiliation association you choose. However, do not degrade others. However, walk in love. However, do not carry sexism, racism, classism, or any of these uh, ills that would damage the Christian witness in the public specter. Going back to what uh, Bishop Jenkins said, we are called to be the salt and light and love of the earth. So I have been called many things by black people. I've been called many things by white people. Uh, this panel's honest. To be an articulate African-American can be a challenge in the hood. Whereas being educated ought to be normal. Right. Being an African-American educated, seminary trained Pentecostal it has a cost associated with it. Yes. <laughs> but now when you add politics to the, to the equation, it becomes more murky because now I want to get into Ignatius. I want to get into Claimon of Alexandria and Claimon of Rome. I really want to look into the church fathers and see what they said about the church participating in political uh, uh, roles or, or allegiances or alliances and begin to see how they saw it through scripture because we have yet to see an honest book, honest literature, scholarly literature that addresses the Christian's participation in politics strictly from a scriptural standpoint without trying to get us to bend towards one side or the other. I, it may exist. I'm a pretty avid reader. I haven't seen it yet. Amen. Any other thoughts on that question? Because I, I personally feel that's the factor aside from racism that, that um, brings disunity to the church. So we'd love to hear other thoughts in regards to that. Um, I, I like to, to speak to that. I think you were talking about this um, a little bit earlier with President Hagan. He said it was like the Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle with uh, racism and we're, we're the epicenter of all things um, race right now with George Floyd and then um, with, the, with the election and COVID. And then I, I also want to say, we, we have to look forward to, especially in Minneapolis, in the Twin Cities, uh, marches when they're going to start having this, the, 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 um, the, the trial for George Floyd. So, so we have to kind of look here and understand that, um, you know, this election, it, 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 I've been praying. I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to just say this is the, just the, this the Christian answer because I, I sense uh, and, and I don't want to just kind of get into this, to the spooky spiritual thing, but I, I sense that unless God puts his hand in and intervenes, we're going to have an issue and a problem regardless of who wins. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, it's definitely going to be a problem. Let, let's, let's just, let, as, as, as my young folks, hey, man. let's hey, keep man. it a buck. Let's keep it 100. Um, we're going to have an issue. It's going to be a race riot. And, and, and it's going to, we, 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 when we were planning this, we had, the, we had planned to have this on the Wednesday after the election. And we said, the no. blood of Jesus. <laughs> no, we, we, we need to reevaluate. The devil is. Because, because somebody is going to be licking their wounds. And if, if and I'm, sorry, I'm trying not to be preaching, but if, if, if we can be totally honest, there is not a clear-cut choice that no one likes the most. I mean, I mean, can we just keep it 100? They're both racist. Don't care for Trump. Don't really care for Biden. And, and my father used to say, it's kind of like choosing lesser two evils. Now, here the thing is, it is your choice. When you got, God gave us choice when he said, he said, he, he does not, my, I used to hear uh, old preachers say, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He does not force you to do anything. He, he will give you free will. God gives you free will to make that choice. And if you make that choice, just because you, if you vote for Trump, I'm not going to automatically assume you are racist. If you vote for Biden, I'm not going to automatically assume that you are, uh, are, are, are for, for abortion or all these different things. The thing is, at the end of the day, we do have to allow love to come. The Bible says, uh, uh, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another for lovers of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. He that loveth not... Knoweth not. Knoweth not God, for God is love. So therefore, if we do not exemplify love across the board, and that does not just mean love for the people that look like us or love for the people that come into this place and call themselves Christians. That means for love or for the folks, that, for the Muslims, for the gays, for the homosexuals, for the transgender, for everybody outside. We've got to love them and, and, not, and, and don't get into this sloppy agape type of love. We want to make sure we give love across. Here's where I, and this is my last seconds. Here's where I have to uh, well, understand about preach love. I don't. Okay. I'm sorry. Let me let me sit back. So here's the thing: the Bible seconds. says all of these, all of our, all of the rules of the ten, the ten commandments, all of the rules in Leviticus, all of those rules that were given all up there. He says oh, we can sum those things up in two. He says, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Second thing, he says, love your neighbor as women. Here's what the hinger is: as yourself. I believe we have a problem with self love. So therefore, Amen. we don't know how to love God, and therefore, we don't know how to love others. If we knew how to love ourselves the way God loves us, then we would have a clearer cut place to move forward. Amen. Amen. I want to hear from Dr. Graham in, 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 the other, in, in terms of insights, and then after him, I'm going to pose one last question, because I, I think we, are, we have reached the time. So... Well, we want to thank you for, we have reached the time, and so we want to thank, let's give our panelists a good hand clap. Amen. That was a wonderful discussion. We wish you had more time, but we got to close. Had other so, preachers. So let's say amen for our President Hagen as he comes. I'm not on the program, and, uh, but I'm going to pretend like uh, I'm, this is the pastor, this is my church here. So even though that's not true, let's all stand together. That was the best thing that we have done in three years. And I think, honestly, and I'm boasting on NCU, that right now we are the most courageous Christian university in the United States of America right now. <laughs> Sir, those questions, Colin. Tremendous. Tremendous. Now, tremendous. Listen to me. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man. 1 Kings 4.30, I think, was the wisest man on earth. Not even he could keep the country from becoming divided. When Solomon died, the country split. So not even the smartest man on the planet could keep the country unified. I think right now we're trying to figure out, are we in a time of division? Are we on the precipice of division or the precipice of captivity? 
Because the division that went for about 116 or so years did not humble the nation. And because they weren't humbled by division, the Lord sent them as captives. I'm praying that we're on the precipice of, of, we're in a time of division that will humble us so that the Lord doesn't have to send us into captivity because we wouldn't listen to him during times of division. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. Jesus, we just pray blessing upon our gathering, Lord. Thank you for these wonderful men and women of God. Thank you for, Lord, our guests that are checking out the school today, Lord. You brought them here for a reason on preview day. Thank you for our students, those watching online. We're just so thankful, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. Have a great day, great lunch. Dr. Tennyson, thank you so much. Is there any, anything else I should? Yeah, we want to get a photograph here.